Hey y'all, I'm Sarah. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Deidre. And this is Screaming Sugar. What did you get today, Deidre? I got a large frozen iced coffee. I guess it's just frozen, not iced. But anyway, with the caramel squirrel. What did you get? Me and Chelsea got the same thing because we always get the same thing. We got French large <laughs> French vanilla <laughs> frozen <laughs> coffee, extra espresso. I don't know why I'm nervous because I, like, I feel like there's like a big part. No, I feel like there's a big person. A big person. A bunch of people listening to us right now, so it's making me nervous. Like nobody, nobody is listening. listening. I know because the first episode, right? Nobody knows about us. And by the time people hear this, if anybody ever hears this, we'll have like a million other episodes, and nobody's going to care. They're going to be like, "Look how far they've come. Yeah, look at the progress." <laughs> That's look what we're aiming. For. Chelsea doesn't sound too much of a hillbilly now, because Lord. What? My boys. Right. Why I talk? We're from Kentucky. Hey, I talk. Hey, I talk. I don't have any more <laughs> Okay, so since it's almost Valentine's Day, so I'm gonna drop some history. Do either one of y'all know the origins of Valentine's Day? Do you just probably like, well, I do know that <laughs> I was about to say, shut up, don't say nothing. Okay. No. So it's a lot darker than I thought it was, because I thought it was just like one of those candy company yeah. things. Like everybody was just like, love, candy, money. You're not. <laughs> I just kind of look every little bit to see if anybody's going to say anything. And Chelsea's just like. <laughs> no, if I don't talk, y'all know why. Okay, but anyways, no, it, it's, it's not. So no one knows the exact origin, but it seems that most people trace it back to ancient Rome. Which is not surprising because Romans are like super. What's the word? Not romantic. Anyways, moving they're on. Not, they're Roman, <laughs> but Romans, but they're not romantic. <laughs> no, these Romans definitely weren't romantic. Because from February 13th through the 15th. The 13th is my birthday. I know. <laughs> so from the 13th through the 15th, the Romans celebrated a feast and festival called Lupercalia or Lupercalia. I've heard it pronounced different ways, whatever. So, during this festival, men sacrificed a goat and a dog. That's disrespectful. Yeah. What's even more disrespectful is the fact that they would use the hides of the goat and the dog, and they would whip women with them. Oh, okay. Um, that's rude. So, a historian at the University of Colorado named Noel Linsky said that the Roman romantics were drunk and naked. That's how he described them. And the women would actually line up to be whipped because it believed, they believed it would make them more fertile. Oh, okay. Um, that's not accurate. No, I'm glad we know better now. So during the festival, they would also do a matchmaking lottery, which is when men would draw names from of women from a jar. And whoever's name they drew, that woman would be his companion throughout the festival. So not like forever. 
just no, like just during the festival. Strong names out of a jar. <laughs> <laughs> I just I mean can you but can you imagine though like you <laughs> keep being like, oh I hope I hope Caesar gets it. Like, come on, Caesar, come on, Caesar. And then like Augustus gets your name and you're like, damn it. Oh, shit. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> um, where we got the name Valentine? That's where I'm going with this. Okay. So on February 14th, um, Emperor Claudius II executed two men named Valentine. They were, it was two different years, but both of them were executed on February 14th. So, and their deaths were honored by the Catholic Church in the form of St. Valentine's Day. Da -da -da -da. So, in the 5th century, Pope, and I'm going to say his name wrong. I wrote out how to say it, and I know I'm still going to say it wrong. It's either Galasius or Galasius. I've heard it pronounced Galasius. Oh, like Galatians in the Bible. Yeah. I think so. So, Galatian, Galasius the first. Anyways, yeah, this dude. Is in the Bible, I'm pretty sure, the name. He Isn't combined St. Valentine's Day with the Lupercalia Festival. And, of course, the holiday became more popular thanks to, you know, Chaucer and Shakespeare who romanticized it. So, it gets popular in the rest of Europe. And then handmade cards started becoming popular in the Middle Ages. And once it came to America in the 19th century, that's when factory-made cards were introduced. And in 1913, in Kansas City, Missouri, Hallmark started producing it. That pretty much sums up. So basically, up all of Valentine's Day happened because two people were executed. So now we celebrate it with love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And their name was Valentine's. So it was Valentine. like, a, like a sacrifice for love. Like they became saints because they were like. Well, it kind of originated from the festival because the festival was all about like fertility. And I guess from it being about fertility, it became about like love. And I don't know. So. I found some cool little facts about Valentine's Day that I thought were cool. So I'm going to share them with you guys. Okay. So, you know how people write XOXO like on cards and stuff? Mm -hmm. Well, the X symbol may mean a kiss today because in medieval times, people who couldn't write their name, they would sign an X instead of writing their name and then they would kiss it oh. to show like sincerity. So now that's why the X means a kiss. Why is uh, the old man hug? I don't know. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I didn't know if you knew that. <clears throat> I didn't. So, in the 1800s, physicians would pretty much, like, prescribe their patients chocolate to help calm, like, their longing for love. Hmm. Like, you need a man. You don't need a obesity. man. Here's some chocolate. That's why there's obesity. <laughs> Just like my fat ass. Chelsea. <laughs> so, and I thought this one was really cool. So, Romeo and Juliet... In the Shakespeare play, they lived in Verona. And every year on Valentine's Day, Verona gets roughly like a thousand letters What's addressed Verona? to Juliet. Italy. Italy. Of course y'all do that. <laughs> and the record for the longest marriage is held by Herbert and Zomira Fisher. And they were married for 86 years and 290 days. I mean, how old were they when they fucking got married? Six? I, that's exactly what I thought. I don't know. But I had some information about Herbert and Zelmira. Yes. Ooh, I want to see pictures. I'll post pictures on our Instagram. But you can look right after this. Their marriage withstood the Great Depression, World War II, 
the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Civil Rights Movement, and five presidential administrations. That's great. Mm. That's a lot. They got married on May 13th in 1924. Herbert passed away in 2011. Damn. At it's weird because when you hear people 24, get married. Yeah. yeah like yeah. you hear people get married and then it's like they're here in our generation. It's like, I don't know if that sounds bad when I say that, but I mean, that's weird. It is weird. But he was 105. Dang. And then so Myra passed away two years later in 2013 at 105. That's crazy. Oh, they both, both lived the same age. To be 105. So in on Valentine's Day in 2010, Twitter did like an interview with them or whatever. And I want to read some of the questions and answers because they're so sweet. Okay, so the question is, you got married very young. How did you manage to grow as individuals yet not grow apart as a couple? And their answer was, everyone who plants a seed and harvests the crop celebrates together. We are individuals, but accomplish more together. They asked, what is your fondest memory of your 85-year marriage? They said, our legacy. Five children, ten grandchildren, nine great-grandchildren, and one great-great-grandchild. They were 21. They died at 105, and they were together. Oh, I didn't even think of doing that. Wow. Okay. Thanks, Deidre. Like 2021. It seems like they were younger than that. I feel like I thought so too, but then you were like 1924 and then they're 105 and they died. And I was like, like, oh, okay. It's crazy because people people were getting married when they were like 14. Mm -hmm. Younger than that, too. Crazy. Someone in my family got married at at 15. I don't know who it was, but I'm going to have to track that back (laughs) because. See, see who it was. Yeah, kind of like dang. Like, just fucking as a child. Like, can you imagine? Oh! <laughs> okay, I have three more questions. <laughs> okay, the next one. Does communicating get easier with time? How do you keep your patience? And this answer, I don't even know if it really answers the question, but in a way it does. The children are grown, so we talk more now. We can enjoy our time on the porch or our rocking chairs together. Aww. I'm like, oh, my heart. Okay, next question. At the end of a bad relationship day, what is the most important thing to remind yourselves? And they said, remember, love is not a contest. Never keep score. God has put the two of you together on the same team to win. Oh, that's, that's adorable. And the last one, they asked them, is fighting important? And they said, never physically. Agree that it's okay to disagree and fight for what really matters. Learn to bend, not break. Hmm. Do you know how all these people are? That answered the things? That asked the questions? Mm-hmm. That answered the questions? That's Herbert and Zamar. Oh! <laughs> where are you? <laughs> I thought you were saying how old the people were that asked the questions. And so I was like, you mean asked? Like, the, like how old the people who asked the people the questions were? <laughs> then you said answered. I was like, oh. I didn't know that they were the ones that, okay. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Okay, so to segue into the case, <laughs> Ratchet just said. <laughs> you didn't know, like, like you weren't here for when she said yeah. that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously my mind wasn't here. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so to segue into the case, this couple was from North Carolina, and the case happened in North Carolina. 
I didn't even know that when I wanted to do both of them. So, oh, handy. What? Nothing. The couple was from North Carolina, and now the the case happened in North Carolina. <laughs> Are you gonna do this the whole time? Like what? what? Attention! <laughs> Attention, class. Well, I got so... this. Y'all know how my shoulder is. I got this. Uh, these patches on. Mm-hmm. Helps the a little bit. Okay, so today I'm going to tell y'all about Valentine's Day murders, and it's the murder of Jesse McBain and Patricia Mann. Have either one of y'all heard of that? Uh, Patricia Mann. Don't you say that sounds familiar? But you know how I am. I forget stuff. And- I had never heard of it until I started actually looking up stuff. And it's crazy that I've never heard of it because it's freaking nuts. Okay. Okay, so. This is what it looks like. <laughs> I'm going to need a cushion because my books. We told you to go get a pillow, so I don't want to hear it. Uh, Chelsea Renee. What well, if you had a bean bag in here? We'll get one. Right. Okay, so I'm going to have to edit. <laughs> you don't have to. This is our first episode. We're ratchet as hell. People are like, people have probably even even if they gone people are listening, they're gone already. <laughs> like, like, no this shit's not even worth it. Okay. <laughs> they drank coffee, they talked about Valentine's Day, and then they laughed for 20 fucking minutes. <laughs> keep that in. Just keep the laughing. Okay, so first I'm gonna tell you about the victims. So Patricia Ann Mann. She was born February 6, 1951. All of it's all in February. It's crazy. February okay. birthday. Her parents were William and Layla Mann. She was described as kind, hardworking, very close to her family, also had a very big like social life, like you and you. And she was a nursing student at what Watts Hospital in Durham, North Carolina. Now, Jesse uh-huh. Allen McBain was born February 15th. 1952 and his parents were alan and hilda mcbain and he was described as tall good looking charismatic and funny they said he was a prankster he looks like a prankster in high school he was voted most likely to succeed Mm -hmm. he looked like he was gonna succeed Mm -hmm. and um he was a freshman at nc state north carolina state what year was he born again 1952. six years old she has a cousin named Caroline, and she described their town as like Mayberry. Everybody oh. knows everybody. Nobody locks their doors. It felt safe. They'd stay outside and play till it got dark. Pretty much just how we were when we were little, right. running around. So her and Pat were the same age, and they were both left-handed, and they favored each other. And when they were nine, she said that. The parent trap came out so they really got into cutting their hair the same wearing the same clothes like people would get confused on who was who her and her cousin yeah and i was, I was gonna message you and be like she was a twin no she wasn't a twin. <laughs> a twin so pat had a cousin named david and her and caroline would go visit him on like sunday drives and stuff in the family and so one time pat went without carolyn and that's when she met jesse Everyone described them as happy and over the moon, a perfect fit, which is so sad. They had already talked about marriage. They planned on getting married after they graduated, starting a family and all that stuff. So now we're going to go to Friday, February 12th, 
1971. Please don't die on my birthday. It was, it was cold and rainy, and there was a Valentine's dance at the hospital where Pat worked. And they, her and one of her nursing student friends that worked there named Sue, they were studying for an exam. They were either studying for an exam or they were taking an exam. I don't remember. But Sue was going to leave and go back home. And she asked Pat if she wanted to go with her because they weren't going to the dance because Jesse didn't have his card. So Jesse couldn't take her to the dance because he lived an hour away. And he didn't have his car because he shared it with his brother. Well, his mom was too busy to make him a birthday cake for his birthday that was coming up in a couple of days. So she made a deal with him. If he would trade days with his brother, then he could have the car that Friday night. And then his brother would have it Saturday. They would switch days. So Jesse got Pat some Valentine's Day chocolates and he drove down to surprise her to take her to the dance. Well, he forgot the chocolates at home. Oh, no. <laughs> so he surprised her. They go to the dance. You know, they boogie, have a good time, whatever. And they leave the dance at about 1130 that night. And Pat lived in a dormitory at the hospital. Apparently, it was like this super, super strict school. Mm -hmm. They had curfews. And I think that night, it was like 1 o'clock was their curfew. So, they leave at 1130. And the curfew's at 1. So, they decide to go to the local Lovers Lane, which was an undeveloped, like, little neighborhood. Kind of like suburban thing. So, it was just like empty cul-de-sacs everywhere. Yeah. And so, each couple kind of had, like, their spot. Which reminds me of like, you know, when you're in school and you don't have assigned seats, but everybody knows like these yeah, people sit here, these people to. sit here. And right near this lover's lane was a trailer park. Like it was on, I want to say like the backside of a golf course. Mm -hmm. And then there was a trailer park right next to it. So remember that. Oh, okay. Okay. You fucking trailer trash bitches. So they leave the dance, they go to the lover's lane and they never make it home. That night. It's about 1.10 in the morning, 10 minutes past curfew. So the house mother at the dormitory, she's already like, where is Pat? Like, she should be here. I know uh, Sue or um, Pat's cousin, one, they were talking about how strict it was. And from like 7 to 9 at night, they were on lockdown. They had no TVs, no radios, nothing. It was just for studying. Like, the house mother would walk them down the hallways. And if you came out to go to the bathroom, you'd get written up. Like, it was super, super, super strict. I'm sure she was someone that was reliable as far as... Oh, yeah. Know, being and that's, like, the next thing I was going to say. No. Are you reading my notes? No, <laughs> no but everybody ways. said, like, she would not have missed curfew. Yeah. Like, there's, there's no way. So, Gail, which is Pat's roommate, she notified the family, and then they called police to file a missing persons report. And the police tells them... You know, not to worry about it. They have something about waiting 24 hours until mm. they file it or 48 hours till they start looking. You know, all that, all that, that shit. stupid shit. Telling them, you know, they probably ran off together and eloped, this and that, whatever, which there was no reason to because both families 100% supported yeah. them getting married. Yeah. Gail and some of the fellow nurse, nurses go to the lover's lane to look for them and they find Jesse's car in like their cul-de-sac. They're not in there. It's locked up, but their coats are in the back. There's a pair of pantyhose that are, like, folded on top of the thing 
on the, um, I guess, like the console. And Pat's purse was in the car. So, obviously, they didn't run off somewhere because she doesn't have her money. They don't have codes. It's February and cold and rainy, so that doesn't make any sense. So, they said nothing was disturbed, no signs of a struggle, and all that stuff. So, now the police decide, okay, something's not right. So, their search parties, this and that, nobody's heard from them. And what's really sad is, you know how I said before, her and her cousin, people would get them confused. Mm-hmm. Her family would, like, be in the house or whatever, and she would come in, and everybody would kind of jump up because they thought that Pat had walked oh, in the door. Sad. It is really, really sad. But 12 days later, later, a land surveyor working in the woods about three miles from where the car was found saw what he thought was a mannequin leg, like the thigh sticking out of like leaves around a tree. As we've learned, it's never a mannequin. It was Pat and Jesse. They were tied to the tree with thick knots around their heads and their hands. And they were tied, like, back-to-back, you know, one on each Mm -hmm. side, like you see in, like, movies and stuff. So, they had been strangled, and they had, like, puncture wounds. Not stab wounds, but, like, puncture wounds from, like, an ice pick or screwdriver type thing. And the autopsy later discovered that this was post-mortem. So, this was after. So, they were pretty much, like, and they said that you could see around the tree, like, how their their feet had moved, where they were, like, you know, thrashing around and stuff. Because it seemed, the way they were tied, that they would try to get up to loosen it, and then they would pass out, and then the killer would let them come to, and then they would strangle more and pass out. I mean, it was torture. So, Jesse's wallet and class ring weren't taken, and Pat was still wearing the promise ring that Jesse had just recently gave her. So, robbery wasn't the motive, and there was no signs of any sexual assault. But Pat had internal injuries suggesting that she had been punched or kicked real hard or stomped on. I lost my place. Okay, so. So, the bodies were found. Oh, I can't remember how far it was. I want to say like 100 yards or something over the county line. The Durham and Orange County lines. So, of course, anytime that happens, it's going to be all this jurisdiction bullshit and this and that. Yeah. And the police departments, they didn't want to work together. People were saying, you know, oh, well, they're not telling us anything, so we're not going to tell them anything. Just whatever. And I um, I think there was like six different agencies that worked on this case. So it was just a huge, like, just mess. So they had said that the killer would have had to have knowledge of the area because it was like down a dirt road and, you know, tucked in here and away. And I mean, it was just you would have had to know the area to know how to get there. The One of the first things I thought and what even the um, medical examiners thought was that it was two people that did it. Because like I said before, Jesse, he was 6'2", he was strong, he was a football player. Like to get him and Pat, it would have had to have been two people. But the original investigator, Tim Bowers, he asked for the assistance of a man named Dr. Brussels, who was a criminal profile, and he said that it was one person, not two. Hmm. They did get DNA from the rope, but, I mean, it didn't do much good in the 70s, but they did have it, you know, for later. Right. We're going to talk about suspects. Okay. So, they had a crap ton, crap ton of suspects. One was even a serial killer. I had never heard of him, but... 
I didn't put him on here, but I'm going to talk about the three that police have never been able to rule out. Okay. It's the only three that they cannot rule out. Question. Yes. Is this uh, an unknown, unsolved case? An unknown. We'll see. Okay. First sub subject. First, sus <laughs> first suspect we're going to talk about. Let me just sip coffee. Oh, yeah. This is a doozy. Mm. <laughs> okay, so the first sub oh my god, the first <laughs> suspect is Dr. James Stephen Walter Wilson. Some words that people who like loved him or were closest to him used to describe him describe him are intelligent, creative, and charismatic. But they also use the words arrogant, vindictive, controlling, unstable, and schizophrenic okay. to describe him. What's crazy, remember when we were at work and I was listening to the podcast and I was like, oh. And I was like, no, I'm going to live. He was born in Caneyville, Kentucky. <gasps> Shut oh. the fuck up. Like, mm -hmm. like that's where Fifi lives. Well, that's where she used to live. That's nuts. I know. Like 10 that's minutes crazy. from where we were. Oh, my God. That's insane. Yep. I'm dead. Let yeah. me get in my coffin. That's okay, crazy. So he was born in Caneyville, Kentucky. Oh, my God. And he went to the University of Kentucky, where he was studying for his Ph.D. in anatomy. Now, he had told people that he was questioned by police about a case in Lexington, Kentucky, at Transylvania College of a murdered student mm -hmm. named Betty Gale Brown. Which is crazy wow. because I just read the book about Betty Gale Brown and I want to cover it. So I'm not going to get too far into it. She was a student that was strangled in her car with her bra. And it's not true that he was questioned by police. So he just made it up for no reason. Yeah. Why would you want to even have that? People think that. Well, people said that he was like a pathological liar and he liked to insert himself in like these big things and this and that and there's another kind of instance I mean, he's just of this later he's just on. asking to get arrested for a murder he didn't commit. Or did. If it came down if it he didn't. He's probably killed his days. <laughs> well I mean he was a suspect in this murder. But so on the night of the murders he was supposed to have dinner with two of his friends at their house and he didn't get there until after midnight. They said he was acting erratic and wild, looking out the windows and everything, and he never said where he was or why he was late, which is sus. Is now, that short for suspect? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Suspicious. I figured, but okay, suspicious. Okay, yeah. He was suspect. You're like suspect. We're like, <laughs> yes. He, which is suspicious. Okay. Okay. So, you know how I said that the killer would have had to have knowledge of it because it was like real tucked away on like a back road mm -hmm. type thing. Sorry, I use my hands when I talk. <laughs> okay. Well, he lived a quarter of a mile from where the bodies were found, and he later went back there with a friend to the tree where they were tied, and he said, "Oh, if these trees could talk." See. Yeah. No. That's fucked up. Okay, so he taught at the hospital where Pat worked, mm -mm -mm. and he had a thing for blonde, so he asked her out a couple times, and of course she said no because she was with Jesse, this 
great dude, most likely to succeed dude. And he's crazy because she knew. She knew. She probably did sense it. Yeah, the rumors mm-hmm. going around. Rumors just flying. Sure. Everybody talks about their teachers. Just flying through them. So, like I said, either way, whether it is or not, he's a shitbag. He threatened and attacked multiple women. I think he was married twice, but one of his wives, there was a hot kettle on the stove. He did not. And he... <laughs> I can't <remember. laughs> He took the kettle and beat her with it in front of their two sons. And then later on, he would send his son's letters calling their mom a horrible mother, saying she was unfit to be a mother, calling her a slut. Just shitty. Oh, yeah, just shitty. And his friend that he was supposed to have dinner with the night of the murder said that he had a vendetta against Pat and he wanted her to be dropped from the nursing academy, probably because she rejected him. Yeah. Like I said earlier, people described him as arrogant. And let's see. Okay, so this is weird. At the University of Kentucky, a hematologist's wife. Do you know what a hematologist is? No. It's like someone that works with blood. Okay, I was going to look it up and I forgot. So thank you. Okay. So. She looks, see, she didn't ask me because she knows my <laughs> You're like well, me. My dumb ass didn't know it either. because that bitch ain't bright. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yes, she is. Look, I've been side to side my butt. Okay, so at the University of Kentucky, a hematologist's wife was found dead in their swimming pool, and she had injection marks on her legs. So she wasn't the hematologist her husband was? Yes. She had injections in her leg? Yes. The husband was accused of it because apparently the wife was either the wife or him was having an affair with another hematologist. I can't remember which one. If it was the wife or the husband, but one of them supposedly had an affair. So the husband was accused of it. And somehow, Dr. Jane Stephen Walter Wilson told people that he was involved in it. Like he was mixed up in it or whatever. So that goes right back to him just wanting to insert himself into just these big cases that he has nothing to do with. He on my nerve already. For whatever reason. So, he's not a main suspect, mainly because he claimed to be involved in the investigation of Betty Gill Brown. Right. And the original investigators and everything said that he never popped up on their radar for any reason. So, he was never questioned by the police. So, because of that, most people don't think he's a suspect. But the theory is he was arrayed. A rage. He was enraged. He was enraged when Pat rejected him, and that resulted in him murdering her along with Jesse. Right. Question. Yes. Is he still living to this day? No. There's only one suspect that is okay. still alive. Continue. And I will get to him. I mean, I this dude dead. R.I.P. But Lord, he ain't. <laughs> he ain't in peace. <laughs> Because he low down. No, he may be. We can't be ju- I can't be judging like oh, that. Oh, you know, yeah, that's true. I was like, mm, I don't know. So, what, what do y'all think of the first? Well, right now, what do y'all think it ain't of looking. Dr. James Stephen Walter Wilson? It ain't looking too hot for Mr. Wilson right now. No, it's not. But I ain't, gonna, I ain't going to say he did it yet because I don't know these other motherfuckers yet. See, yeah. and they're so, like, He's he just seems like. A super creepy dude. Like, apparently, yeah. he worked with another guy, and they created, like, a 
anatomy book for like college students mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah. And it was super like, I want to say derogatory, but I don't know if that's the right word. Like derogatory toward women. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Talking about just, it was just weird. Yeah. Just sexist. Like at the end of this, I'll talk about where I got most of my information, mm -hmm. but well, they talk about it on there, but it's, it's hard to say. Cause you know, he, he a creep. He could have very well done it. Yeah. But then again, you also got to look at he's schizophrenic and there really are people that like to involve themselves in the stupidest shit like him in a fucking murder. Like, that's stupid. Why would you even want to be considered? And, the and they really didn't do it. Like, they really wouldn't harm anybody, but they just want you to think that they would. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm like, I don't know. He may, See, I mean, he may have not even done anything. And his sister, I want to say she still lives in Pennyville. But, I'm not, but I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think she does. But she didn't really want to comment on much of it. Because well, they like either. cut ties when they were young. And she said she could never imagine him hurting. No, if that was my brother, I'd comment on it. I'd be like, yeah, that motherfucker's crazy. But I mean, I don't know. I don't think he was like diagnosed as schizophrenic. That's just, just like... So how they, people describe that's him. what I was gonna ask. Like, is this like a diagnosis? Which, if if he wasn't, if like, he don't use that word to describe somebody if they don't yeah, have it they because there are people that actually suffer from that and they can't help it. But I mean, but in, I don't the, know. in the end, he may have had it, you know what I mean? You never know, but I mean, still, and in the 70s, yeah. too, it yeah, was see, not it was, treated, mm -hmm. yeah, like, like today, it isn't treated the way it should be, right? So, in the 70s, it was just, yeah. yeah. I'm just, mm, I don't it's know a shit show in the street. So as of now, y'all think he did it. Right now, he's looking <laughs> pretty good for the bill. I mean, yeah, he's um, looking pretty good. I'm not going to say he did it. Yeah. I mean, we'll hear the rest of them, but right now, I mean. Right now, we've heard one, so he's the number one. Yeah, right now, he's number <laughs> yeah, one. He's number he's one. one. But, I mean, he sounded real good. It's not like, oh, they saw him kind of around. He was gone, like. Okay, we'll just mad. wait. Yeah, he's mad at Pat. Just stalked him out there. You ready to hear about suspect number two? No. Yes. No. Suspect number two is James Brannon Ray, which some people also call him Jimmy. See, I don't like that name. It already ain't looking good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Mr. James Jimmy Brannon Ray was super, super into the case. You he say Brennan Ray? Brannon. Brannon. He had newspaper clippings. He was super into like all the media coverage, all that jazz. He, he was an orderly at Watts Hospital. Okay. okay, an orderly. Yes, which is like a nurse's aide type okay. thing, which is sus. See what I said about not knowing Vicious. <laughs> oh, sus, there it is. So, I know what it is now. This guy was in and out of jail since he was 15. Okay. <laughs> like, damn it. Here we go. So he's in and out of jail since he was 15, mainly for like car theft and stuff like that. Okay. But once he got older, it got a little worse. Yeah. So once he was pulled over, I think it was just for like a traffic violation, but he ended up being arrested because of what the police found in his car. Okay. And they pulled him over. So in his car, they found a blue dash light, like the police used. Uh, okay. They found uh, bullets, but no gun. And they found other police equipment. Like they found like a, a rain smock thing like yeah. the police wear. And so obviously he was arrested for impersonating a police officer. Oh. 
Mm-hmm. It was also discovered that he had worked for a roofer for a short time and he had stolen a rope from that roofer. Apparently he went to the roofer and he asked if he could use it to like tow his car or something. Yeah. And the roofer was like, that's not going to help. Gonna like it. that's not going to work. It's not going to hold your car. It's not strong enough. If they and could then, see my face right now. <laughs> and if, and then the son ended up telling the son of the roofer told him that Brandon Ray had came back and stolen it. And the police showed the roofer the rope from the crime scene. And he said, that's it. That's my rope. Okay. Okay. Oh, my God. Lord have mercy. So. So. Also, the day after the bodies were found, mm -hmm. he sold his car. Oh, okay. All right. It's not... Damn it, it's right? not looking good and again. He allegedly was talking to the buyer of the car about the murders and stuff. And he told him how the rope had been cut and how it was tied. Both of which was information that information, was never released right. to the media. Mm-hmm. So nobody would have known that. He also told him that he knew Pat and Jesse, that Jesse was an ass, and that Pat wasn't near as nice as everybody claimed she was. See, talking shit about the dead. And he also said that he was at the Valentine's dance. Mm-hmm. But he told everybody else that he didn't know either one of them, and he said that he had helped search for him like during the search parties and stuff. Yeah, but killers go them. back. Mm-hmm. He had to make sure no one came because where <laughs> they were at. See, so yeah. people. Pretty much everybody asked about him and his personality and that. Nobody said that they had any complaints of violence or anything like that. Like he had a temper, but, but even though he, he was, was never hurt. The time he was 15, but yeah. they didn't have any But he would never hurt anybody. Well, what's weird is, okay, Jesse drove. I completely forgot to write down the kind of car he drove. Mm-hmm. But there was... Like, in the lover's lane, there was this other car that was exactly like Jesse's car. And they would come and, like, park behind the couples and turn the bright lights on and honk the horn just to mess with them, yeah. just to be jerks. And and he drove the same car as that description The exact car? same car as Jesse. <clears throat> One of the theories is that he would always impersonate a police officer. So maybe he went back to the cul-de-sac and thought it was the people that were messing with everybody and was going to be a cop be like, Hey, you know, and bust them. But it ended up being them. It ended up being Pat and Jesse instead. Well, Pat could identify him and turn him in for impersonating a police officer because she worked with him. Mm -hmm. So then he had to eliminate that threat. Mm -hmm. It's one of the theories, but apparently he has an alibi. So his, alibi was he went on a date with the girl they like went to a movie and then they went and ate and she had a strict curfew at 11 and she said she was home by 11. okay i was say so they actually found this girl yes she's real so she was home by 11 and pat and jesse had left the dance at 11 30. right around midnight james Vernon ray uh goes to one of his friend's house and says that he ran out of gas so he wants to know if he'll take him to go get gas and take him to his car. <clears throat> the friend takes him and they go to the gas station to get gas. And on the way to his car, they would have passed the cul-de-sac where 
Jesse's car was. And another thing is when he was walking, I think they said it was like a 22 minute walk with the gas can. He would have walked right by it. It would have been in clear view. Right, right by where they were found or by the by the car. Okay. So while they were saying if he did not do it, did he see something? Right. Because he would have walked right by where they were parked. But when they get to his car, the friend, you know, was going to get out and help him or keep him company to some whatever. And James Brand Ray would not let him get out of the car. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, you stay back, stay back. And he wouldn't let him near his car. Yeah. So people are wondering, were, like, were they in the trunk? Then oh. did he not want him to get out because they would hear screaming coming from the trunk? Yeah. It's just weird. Yeah. Or were they, well, no, they left at 1130. You said around midnight? At he, midnight, he got to. The friend's house? Mm-hmm. That's was so short. I was like, or were they dead already? Okay, okay but... so midnight that he got to the friend's house to take him to get gas, right? Right. Is that what you just said? Mm-hmm. And Pat and Jesse left the dance at what time? 1130. And do you know about how how long it takes to get to from there the dance to the car place? I don't know. But that would be the friend that drove him, I can't remember his first name, but his last name was Louder. And from his front porch, you can clearly see the cul de sac. The friend's house? Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. So he gets there at midnight, the friend takes him to his car, friend goes home, and James Brand Ray can't be accounted for the rest of the night. So after his friend left him with his car, nobody knows what he did after that. And the police ended up tracking down the person that bought his car, and they didn't find any evidence in the car. And he took two polygraphs, and they were both inconclusive. The person who bought the car? No. Oh, James. Jimmy. Yeah. Okay. He took two polygraphs. Both of those were inconclusive, and they didn't find anything in the car that he had sold. Okay. So that's all I got on Mr. James, Jimmy, Brennan, Ray. Okay, so. So what do y'all think about suspect number two? Here's what I'm thinking about suspect number one and number two. I was going to say they did it together. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, what if they did it together? They both know her. They both are sketchy, obviously. And they both know each other because he's a doctor at the place and he was the assistant. Orderly, yeah. So I'm like, he's so arrogant, Dr. Wilson. What if he just goes and starts talking shit? I mean, he was... Jimmy was talking shit about them after they had died. Like, she's not as nice as she, as they think she yeah. is. Maybe that's because she turned them down, and then they just got together, and they were like, oh, yeah, that bitch Pat, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then yeah, they're yeah, like, we're going to get him. He, we know, like, you know. But it's weird because you said he bought the rope, or he wanted the rope, and then he stole it, and they were like, yep, that's it. So that would almost need to be premeditated, but he was surprising her. So no one knew he was coming. So maybe exactly. it was originally gonna just be we're gonna kill Pat, and then if see James the thing was at that's the dance, weird too though is she wouldn't have been going to the dance. Yeah. So he maybe like as far as they knew, if Jesse wasn't gonna come, so she wasn't going. Or maybe they didn't know that Jesse wasn't gonna come, and they knew that she'd be at the dance, and they knew that they would go to the lovers' lane after. I mean, either yeah, way, because I mean, his car—it's probably his car. Who's like? Messing with the people at Lover's Lane. A car that looked like Jimmy's. A car Jesse. that looked like Jesse's. Jesse's Just like Jesse's. Was at Lover's Lane. Yeah. Shining their lights. People. Okay. And Jimmy would impersonate a police officer. 
Oh, okay. So he's so like she gonna, was saying maybe okay, I maybe it. he went back to try and bust them, pretending to be a cop, and it ended up being Jesse and Pat. Being and Jesse like, and oh, Pat. Shit, right. Got it. Got Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering if. Yeah, I'm wondering if they were in on it together. Yeah, they were gonna just kill Pat, and then they were like, "We're gonna get both of them." Well, we got. Uh, you said you got three suspects. That's it. Suspect. Suspect. We got one more. All right, let's hit it. This is gonna be the worst one of all, probably. I know. We gonna think it can't get no worse. Mm. Just wait. This is the only suspect. Suspect. <laughs> Why do I keep messing up that word? Ooh. This is the only suspect that is still alive. Okay. Okay. And his name is Doctor Robert Britt. It was fucking all three of them all together. Robert Britt. He's from a very prominent family, like where he lived. Or grew up or something like everything. It was Brit everything. Okay, like they like, owned the whole town. Like long line of Brits, so he was very prominent. Well, first thing I'm going to tell you about is a road rage incident where he got into an incident with a woman, and the woman said that he jumped out and he attacked her, he kicked her, all that stuff. So he was charged with assault. But he claimed that she came after him and attacked him. And it ended up, they went through different things, whatever. But at the end of the day, it was ruled a mutual assault. Wretched. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that pretty much, nothing really happened. Mm -hmm. Apparently, he was driving down the road one time. And there was a man, he said, just pretty much just like frozen on the side of the road. And then last minute, he runs out and he hits him and he's on the hood of the car for more than 70 yards until he eventually rolls over the car and off the back and he dies he claims it was an accident there's no records like police records of this incident Uh and the current coroner says there's no record of an autopsy done on that guy like ever yeah, so, oh, I hit this guy. He just jumped out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. That's just and what, no, what nothing came by. of this. Yeah, that's what happens when you got money. Nothing came of this. Just, just swept That's right why I wanted to mention that he was from a very prominent family. Yeah, they done swept that under the rug so quick. So, and this is another thing that he has in common with one of our other suspects. So, there was a hitchhiker, and he admitted to he was being a jerk. People would drive by. It was him and one of his friends. He was a teenager and he was like flipping people off that drove by and didn't pick him up. Just being a teenager. Wrong one. Well, Dr. Britt drives by and he flips him off or whatever mm-hmm. and he swerves around and comes back around and he gets out of the car, impersonating a police officer, holds him what? at gunpoint and he orders the hitchhiker and his friend to get in his car. Oh, no. And so apparently his friend like intervenes and gets close to him and like, Stands up to him or whatever, and then he just like gets back in his car and takes off. Oh no, he's about to kill them. So the hitchhiker got his license plate number. Okay. And he thought he was a cop, so he calls and he's like, you know, I'm gonna report this yeah. cop. Yeah. And they're he's not a cop. They trace it back to him, and he's not a cop. Yeah. Nothing really came of it. No. See. You see, nothing came of it. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's just like these people tell these crazy stories. It's like, but then that was the most I heard of it because. So he was allegedly at the Valentine's dance, and okay, his, hang on. 
did he work at the place that Pat was at and the other doctor worked at and the other guy worked at? Or was that? Um, at some point, yes. Okay. But he was allegedly at the Valentine's dance. And guess where his brother lived? In the fucking thing? The trailer park. The fucking oh, right trailer park. Right by the... Park. Oh, I, I, forgot. I forgot we had to remember the trailer park. So he right there. And the trailer park was like behind the golf course where the cul-de-sac was. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was going to say, or where the bodies were found. I couldn't remember which it was closest to. There was a couple... I think it was... I don't know exactly how far. But it was around the crime scene... A couple claimed that they were approached by a police officer and told to get in the trunk of their car. So who does that sound like? <laughs> Wait, say that one more time. A couple near the crime scene, I think it was the night of the murder. Okay. Were approached by a police officer and he was trying to order them to get in the trunk of their car. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty much just like what the hitchhiker said. Yeah. That he yeah. had done. Oh, yeah. Now, this is what's weird. Apparently, there was a stakeout, and they parked in the same exact cul-de-sac where Jesse and Pat had parked, Mm -hmm. and they were just waiting to see if anything happened. And apparently, Dr. Britt came and parked behind them and got out. And then he starts walking toward the car, and then he turns around and gets back in his car and leaves. Mm-hmm. Trying to be a police officer again to the police. But it's weird because somebody says that that happens, but then one person that was one of the two at the stakeout says that he doesn't, that didn't happen. Like that he wasn't there at all? Right. So who's saying this? Who, who's just you don't know saying who the guy random was shit? That said that? I don't remember his name, but apparently he worked for like a department in the DMV. And there was a lot of corruption and stuff being planted by this dude and accusations. So oh. they don't know if it yeah. was just like him fucking with stuff or. Yeah. But the dude that was actually there said it didn't happen to his recollection. He don't remember that happening, which I mean, these people are old now. So I mean, yeah. it could just be forgotten memory or whatever. But, yeah. but even back then, if somebody came to the. Well, I mean, you think you would, you would not is, forget that. Yeah, yeah. they would have yeah. probably said something back then. Yeah. The night after the murder, this is really weird. Hilda, which is Jesse's mom. Mm-hmm. Well, I put it was the night after the murder. But she gets a call. I knew it. I was like, she's going to get a phone call. Okay. Someone claiming to be Robert Britt. And he says, I killed your son. And he did this. At, or up to four times. And it was always around like the anniversary of the murder. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if it was once a year for four years or, or twice yeah. around it for two years or whatever, but four times around the anniversary of the murder, somebody claimed to be Dr. Britt. Well, I think he only said he was Dr. Britt the last time he called, that he would call and say, I killed your son or I know who killed your son or whatever. Mm-hmm. Police never questioned him about that phone call. Money. Like, what the f- So, you have yeah. somebody calling saying, I killed your son, claiming to be Dr. And Britt, and you never question Dr. Britt. Like, money. <laughs> Once again, pussy, money, or we, whatever so, one you got. And, <laughs> and he got money. <laughs> <laughs> and it's money. And it's money. So it's, it's good to know also Ooh, that at the, at the time of the murders, Dr. Britt's father was like, his health was declining, like he was dying. So that could have been something that like pushed him 
over the edge. In 2011, a new detective, oh my gosh, I cannot remember his name. George Lopez. No. Okay, so he finally got questioned. He was very friendly, whatever. He said he would give him a DNA sample the next day because, you know, remember they have that rope, and now in 2011, everything's more. So investigators leave, and before they even get back to the office, they get a call from Dr. Britt's lawyer saying they're not allowed to question him anymore. He will not give a DNA sample. He will not take a polygraph test. Whatever. He, He never gave his DNA. Once you got their high. Exactly. Where I got like all of this information is from a podcast called The Long Dance. And it was uh in 2017, I think, when they did it. And that's when I was telling y'all about that's it's like an eight part, eight episode thing. Mm-hmm. It's like all of this stuff plus a million times more of all of this information. Okay. Well, they interviewed Dr. Britt. Oh. And they were asking him about James, Jimmy, Brandon, Ray. I guess, you know, asking if he knew him or this and that, what he thought about him in the case, whatever. James, Brandon, Ray had been released from jail or prison. I don't remember what for. There's no telling. Five days after he was released, Britt hired him as a lab technician. This dude who had had jobs like a bouncer and like a cook and an orderly, no, no experience as a lab technician, whatever, which is super, super weird that two of the only three suspects that can't be ruled out work together. I think they did it. I don't think the first two had anything to do with it. Well, Dr. Britt is live. Apparently he's retired living in Florida, but he is like the number one suspect, obviously. But at some point, they got, I think it was an anonymous tip of somebody that worked at a restaurant, and they said that Dr. Britt came in there all the time. Uh So she calls, or they talk to the manager, and the manager says, you know, yeah, he comes in here, you know, a couple times a month. Uh So then when he goes in there, he leaves, and once he leaves, anything that he leaves on the table is fair game to pick up and test for DNA. Uh Uh-huh. You have the rope. They ended up getting, I don't remember what it was called, MVAC or something like that. This new machine and this and that. They send it to them. And they tell them that, you know, it looks like they're going to have very little to work with. And, you know, with DNA, once you, if you use all of it to try and test it and it doesn't work, it's gone. From the way I take it. Well, they test it. And there's not enough to work with. Oh. So the rope D-Day is just gone now. From the way I took it, yes. Pretty sure. Oh, yeah. okay. But apparently they have all the D they have the DNA from all three suspects that couldn't be ruled out. But no rope DNA. So none of no DNA has been matched with it. So they're pretty much at the point now, unless there's like a deathbed confession or just something out of the blue comes up. And there's this thing called, four, it's like 404B or something like that, like an evidence law or something. Uh-huh. And it says pretty much that somebody's past, like their past criminal record and incidences and stuff like that can be admissible in court to 
you know, try them. So everybody's wondering, like, why can't they try Dr. Britt? They have all this stuff that doesn't line up and everything. But it's pretty much like they have all this circumstantial stuff, but they need at least one, like, tangible thing, one thing of hard evidence, and they just don't, they don't have it. And that's pretty much it. I wrote it in. That's all, folks. That's all, folks. I can't even get it out. I really do suggest y'all listen to that podcast, though. The Long Dance. It's, I have like eight, nine pages of stuff, but they they go super, super into it. It's like eight hours of talking about it. I mean, they did a huge, huge deep dive into it, and it's really, really good. Yeah, the fact that they were able to interview, the fact that Dr. Britt was like, sure, I'll do an interview yeah. with them is crazy. Yeah, but they said when they asked him, like he was all friendly, this and that, blah, blah. When they asked him for the DNA, they said that he was like hyperventilating. His lips were quivering. He asked to be excused. Oh, it was in person. It, it was, was like in a person. Phone yes. Oh, shoot. All right. So that is it. That is the Valentine's Day murders of Jesse McBain and Patricia Mann. <laughs> we hope you found it as interesting as we did. And hope you have a good Valentine's Day. I know I will. You know why? Why? Cricket, cricket, cricket. Because my birthday is Saturday, February the 13th, and I'm going to be in Gothenburg. Yes. And Deidre. Deidre's going to be there too. Sarah's supposed to be there, but you know. <laughs> yes, we're going to be in the mountains. I'm going to be in the hot tub. Celebrating the big 2 1. Woo woo! Big 30. No! <laughs> I'm 30. Chelsea's turning 30. I'm 21. I'm going to be legal for the night time. Shut, Shut your mouth. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, we hope you keep listening and remember to keep it sweet. <laughs>